Welcome to the Make Music Income Podcast with Stephen Bedall of the Production Music Academy and me, Eric Copeland of Make Music Income. In this podcast, we'll talk about our experiences in music licensing as music artists with online channels, our publishing and royalty incomes, and our combined over 40 years experience as music producers for hire. So let's get started with today's episode. Okay. Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm really excited to have uh, Mr. Dave Crop here today as a guest on the Production Music Academy YouTube channel. Uh, he really needs no introduction. Uh, I'm assuming that most of my audience <laughs> probably is well aware of who Dave is. Uh, but if you're not, um, definitely go check out his YouTube channel, which is called 52 Qs. Um, you can check out 50. Yeah, the, the YouTube is, uh, if you search in... Uh Dave, just Dave Croft, or if you, I th I it's guess, Dave Croft, I then 52 Qs, right? Q's. Yeah, because I made it, you know, my YouTube channel several years ago, and it was just my right. name, and then subscribers grew and grew and grew, and then now I'm at the point where it's just like, well, I, it's kind of this own other thing, but it's still called, still under my name, so That's it may be in the future. Kind of cool, it's what it. I do too on my but, channel, Stevie, Stevie, yep, right on. <laughs> yep. um, yeah, so you, ch you check them out at uh, 52Qs.com, is that right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Correct. Yep. So yeah, 52 Qs is an interactive production music community as well as uh, as a podcast, I guess. And uh, Dave and mm -hmm. I share quite a bit in common. We both run our respective uh, production music music communities on a platform called Mighty Networks. Uh, we both actively compose and uh, educate on uh, production music, and we both wear thick rimmed glasses, although. Mine oh, yeah. are not nowhere near as stylish or as colorful as yours. Um, I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, dude, welcome. Thank you so much for, for doing this. And uh, I love your podcast. I love your your, your channel. And uh, I like what you're doing out there. And uh, I appreciate you, appreciate you making the time to uh, chat with me today. Oh, man. Thank you. Thank you so much. I was happy to, 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 to help out any way I could. You know, uh, thank you for letting me uh, sit in your virtual seat there for a couple yeah. of weeks while you traipsed off and, you know, had your nuptials. <laughs> But I have to say, um, 52 Qs would probably still be on Facebook if it wasn't for you. Oh, man. really? Uh, I was I was looking at Production Music Academy, and I was like, man, Steve really has his ish together, man. This looks fantastic. Oh, cool. And I scroll down to the bottom, and I see this little, you know, uh, Mighty Networks community. I'm like, what's Mighty Networks? I've never heard of that before. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I've been looking for, which was a way to kind of get off of Facebook and, you know, all the kind of Facebookiness that that kind of uh, is, is its own little bag of problems. Right. But uh, now, now we're not we're not running like courses, kind of like what, what you're doing. It's not necessarily an academy. It's uh, we've really leaned into the community yeah. aspect. But I just wanted to to thank you. I know you had no, no kind of like direct kind of here, Dave, look at this. But it was uh, seeing how well run the production music academy was and i was so impressed with that that i just had to find out what platform oh that's so cool that's <laughs> so, so cool to hear that i uh, i no one really does does quite what mighty networks is doing it's very it's 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 good there's a little a lot of little kinks and, and problems they need to fix but uh yeah. they they have a very convenient uh, platform for for hosting communities and and as well as course mm -hmm. content. Um, I learned yes. about it through uh, Jesse uh, Jesse Sync My Music um, uh, Academy. Yep. He's using Mighty Networks as well. So uh, that's cool. Uh, I, I'm I'm glad to hear that. Um, and uh, I actually have some questions about about your about the Facebook thing. I was curious about sure, that. Yeah. Uh, we'll we'll get to that though. Um, yeah, man. I wanted to yeah just start off by saying like you did a great interview with Eric. Um, a while back, I guess, a little while ago. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, you've also, yeah, like you said, filled in for me on the Make Music Income podcast, uh, which I really appreciate. Um, but I want to kind of pick your brain about some things that um, maybe, hopefully, you didn't cover in some of those past videos, interviews, and uh, even some of your podcast episodes too. Because um, sure. I do listen to your podcast, and uh, I, I, yeah, I always feel like I want to jump in and ask you questions there, but it's like I can't. Yeah. Man. Um. So I love hearing about how other people organize their lives and uh, and function as full-time musicians because I know it's tough. Uh, I've only been doing it for like the music full-time for about like three, almost four years now. So it hasn't been mm -hmm. that long for me. I still got a lot to learn. Um, you mentioned something in your last podcast, I believe, uh, where you talk about all your income streams. It's really interesting mm -hmm. podcast. Everyone should go listen to that. Um, I guess you were saying that there's... 
to sort of paraphrase is like there's fat there's facets of your life uh your daily daily life that don't get like full-time dave uh, energy mm -hmm. because you're focusing on like so many different things uh which i do as well and and you're i guess you're kind of prioritizing uh things based on not only you know what you're passionate about and what makes you happy but also like what's you know going to pay the bills um mm -hmm. you seem to have you know just on like surface level you have like a very uh you know like cool demeanor like you seem uh, like you have a very uh level-headed disposition um and maybe maybe for all we know uh things are totally chaotic and crazy behind the scenes there for you um and we just don't see it but i don't <laughs> feel like intuitively like that's the case i feel like if i had to guess you're very effective at managing your time um is that fair to say and if so could you sort of like impart some wisdom uh to those of us <laughs> myself included who feel as though uh we're always kind of scrambling and uh, and playing catch up and like running behind schedule. Like, what's what's your secret, man? Like, how do you manage your life? Well, man, I first of all, I really appreciate it. And there are absolutely times when you know the plates start spinning off their pegs, and I kind of have to go into scramble mode. Um, I, I find it so important to block everything out, like on a calendar. Like everything has to find a hole, whether it's when I'm going to be grading, when I'm going to take a lunch, when I'm going to play video games with my friends, mm -hmm. you know, when I'm going to spend deliberate time with my family. Everything goes on a calendar. And then, uh, you know, having a routine, and I am such a creature of habit, I have to have a routine. Okay. And if I get knocked off my routine, that's when I notice that things start slipping through the cracks. And uh, different things can, can knock me off my routine, uh, like a week of vacation. Right can totally knock my uh, knock me off my routine where I getting back into the swing of things can be really tough but uh, so I put everything on a calendar and I use uh, Apple calendars because I have a phone and you know my watch yeah. and, and all so so it syncs across all of my devices yeah. so at any time if I have an appointment like this appointment you know went on my calendar and there it is and I know when it's gonna happen uh, and uh, I, I couple that with using uh, reminders. Okay. Like just a reminders yeah. app. And so if I have a, a really short, like if I'm, if I'm in the middle, if I'm like laying, laying down in bed and we're watching TV or whatever, I'm playing Sudoku on my iPad or whatever. And I think, oh, I need to do this. Uh, and it will, and it will take like longer than two or three minutes to mm -hmm. do. Then I'll make a little reminder. Or if I, if I need to manage a lot of projects, like a lot of different deliverables, then I will use Asana, use Asana, A -S -A -N -A, Asana .com, cool. which is kind of a, a really big project management yes. uh, system, which is really deep, mm -hmm. but even just the free one uh, works out really well for me. So uh, for example, a couple of years ago, I was doing a big contract for Discovery Channel and they wanted 90 cues uh, scattered across some seven or eight albums, wow. right? And so... Um, different albums I, I was doing like maybe a full 15 tracks for this album but i'm only doing six tracks for this album and so i just created in asana essentially um buckets it's kind of kanban boards where you can you can put um different uh cards like kind of set them up so here's a one tension cue tension cue one two three four mm -hmm. five whatever on a card and stick stuck that in a column and then uh, i was able to kind of keep everything organized and within the card itself i had different deliverable states. So here's a sketch. Here is um, completed. It needs mixed and masters submitted with notes. Then I would paste the notes from, from the publisher into the card and um, be able to, to track the status of it. But, um, but again, <laughs> that, that system only works if I do it. So if I don't, if I don't keep up with it, then it can really kind of slip, you, slip off the Is rails. this like a, like, do you sit down once a week and then like figure out your week or is like, is it like, is it just an every day I, you're kind of chipping away at your, at your, uh, the schedule and the and planning? How's that work? Pretty much every day. Any, any of the, the regular things, um, go on, um, on, uh, ongoing, ongoing tasks. So as soon as I complete it, then the next one gets popped up. And actually that's through, Another project management system that me and my wife, Shannon, who we, we co-run 52 Qs, yeah. uh, we use Basecamp. And okay. so being able to recurring to do's. And so uh, she, she sets a lot of that stuff up. And so every Monday morning, you know, I sit down and here's my entire week of deliverables. Monday is my big 52 Qs. 
push where I put the weekly thread and I, you know, I, I, uh, I, I assign whatever the topic is and do all of that stuff. I have a mastermind group and I post the mastermind article for yeah. the week. And as soon as I click on done, then the next one kind of gets auto-generated. And so again, that's, that's more of that routine. And so just having, having tasks out of your brain and onto a system that you can use consistently is so important because uh, if you try to keep it kind of floating in your brain, then something is going to fall through the cracks. And hopefully it's, it's just, oh, I forgot to walk the dog, not I forgot to uh, answer a client email and they're waiting on me and then I miss my deliverable windows and you start, you start uh, bruising the relationship with your publisher. And that's a, uh, that's a concept that I learned through the getting things done system. If you've never heard of that, AKA GTD. So if you're like, if you're looking for to do apps and they mentioned GTD, that's called getting things done. And the two main things with getting things done. The first one is if something takes less than five minutes to do, mm -hmm. then do that thing immediately. Okay. If it takes longer than five minutes, then get it out of your brain into kind of an inbox. So then, it, then whatever it is, if it's something that's going to take five minutes to do, you know, answer this email, it's going to take longer than five minutes. It goes to an inbox. The point is, is that it goes out of your brain. It doesn't create an open loop in your subconscious, which just kind of chews at you. And so if you've ever had that feeling of, oh, I feel like I'm missing something, then you know, chances are you probably are. And so once you get it into the inbox and then periodically once a day or once a week, you go through your inbox and then sort them. So, okay, this is going to go in this, this, this time, this is when I'm going to accomplish hmm. this. So yeah, lots of overlapping systems, whether it's Asana, whether it's my calendar, whether it's reminders, whether it's the getting things done, Basecamp or whatever, but I somehow managed to kind of keep them all spinning at once. So uh, I ho hope that was, wasn't too it was great, exhausted. It was a great you. answer. It was a great answer. And like, <laughs> has that always been like that? Or is that something that you had to sort of like, uh, was that a natural skill just being organized with your time? Have you always been like that? I, I, I think it, it really turned the corner for me when I started embracing the miracle morning concept, yeah, I was going to talk to you about this too. I, you know, we talked about on, on the podcast. Yeah. That's when it kind of kicked into overdrive because if I'm going to, you know, if the alarm's going off at four in the morning and I'm committing to doing that, then, then it's a colossal waste of time for me to wake up at four, do my exercise, get into the studio by five 30 or so, and just sit here and what waste time on YouTube or something right. like that. So that, that miracle morning super forced me to focus on what I'm doing with the time I have. And now trying to like run a community on top of all that, you know, and making uh, podcast videos and cue breakdowns and doing live streams and all this, all, all my free kind of um, discretionary time, you know, that I could be working, uh, that's all kind of been filled in with really rewarding things but it means that the time that I'm not doing those super specific to-dos, if it's just a block of composing or admin work or metadata, I have to be super deliberate with that. And so the Miracle Morning concept kind of kickstarted that. And one of the aspects of the Miracle Morning is planning your morning. You know, So the night before, you know, before you sit down in for me in the studio, that you know what you're looking to accomplish in that time, and that's been hugely beneficial. Are you me. are you embracing the uh, like the meditation and affirmations uh, like part of the the miracle mornings, or uh, are they like? I, I need to be better with the affirmations. I, I must admit, I still feel, I just feel a little silly, you know, <laughs> like, you know, it reminds me of that old SNL sketch, you know, um, I'm great. Uh, doggone it. People like me, but yeah, it right. feels a little bit like that. I think that's just me. You know, I'm good enough. I'm smart uh -huh. enough. Uh, and I, and I, I was better with the meditation um, before I got really, really busy. Yeah. But the, the getting up, the morning exercise, the being really deliberate, trying to be as be creative first thing in the morning, I do absolutely um, adhere to that. Because, because my exercise is usually bike riding or walking, I, that's kind of, that's a very kind of zen-like kind of meditative space. But I have, you know, been known to, you know, squat on the floor with, a, with you know, a meditation, guided meditation and sit there for like half an hour. Totally. I've been known to do that. Yeah. yeah, that's cool, man. I I, uh, I totally embrace this this idea of miracle mornings too, and it's like, a, and when I heard you say it, it kind of like encapsulated uh, what I already knew to be true, which was that I like, you know, mornings are just such a precious time for me to uh, yeah. have that creative output. Um, 
and uh, and I swear by the you know the, the getting the juices flowing in the morning before I do anything really I go take a run, um, which you know just gets the circulation in my mm-hmm. body and my brain uh, functioning properly. So. Um, yeah, yeah. You, you and Eric are a uh, usually Wednesday or Thursday. Um, sometimes Tuesday if if the podcast comes out. But no, you you are. You, I hear your voice <laughs> at least once every week on, during my miracle morning on my bike ride. Usually, oh nice on the bike uh, ride. That's uh, awesome. The, yeah, they're they're almost the exact length <laughs> of of the ride. And so yeah, absolutely, That's so man. Cool. You're absolutely a part of my mor- miracle morning. That is week. so cool to hear. I'm honored. <laughs> um, let me uh, change directions here a little bit. I have, mm-hmm. um, I was listening to uh, another, I guess it was another one of your podcasts, uh, or maybe it was in a, the interview with Eric, but uh, I know that you have a, a we kind of have similar backgrounds with, um, as performers. Um, I know that you, you're a drummer. Mm-hmm. I know you've done some work uh, playing with like, the, you know, theater productions and stuff and, and some bands. Um, when I was younger, Performing was something I was like I was super super passionate about, and um, I felt very compelled to be like around a lot of people and in sort of an active participant in the culture uh, of all of it. Um, and as I've kind of grown a bit older, I, I I've changed in such profound ways that I think that my younger self would just find totally shocking. Um, like I, I, you know, I, I really like peace and quiet. I I get claustrophobic around crowds now. Mm. Um, and I really don't have like that same youthful appetite that I once had for like sort of the chaos of uh, touring and gigging, um, that, that I used to have. Um, I still feel incredibly passionate about music. It's just kind of transferred itself into music production. Um, Mm. When I look at my my DAW, for example, like and it's just see a blank, you know, arrangement screen, I just get really excited and I feel like it's sort of my playground in my fantasy world to sort of build whatever I want uh, in it. And I get really excited about that. And I was just thinking about how it's so interesting how like sort of, you know, our passions sort of change over time um, as we as we get a bit older. And I'm wondering how it's changed for you looking back on you know your your trajectory as a as a musician and be and being a career musician um what gets you like you know excited when you wake up in the morning now is it is it mostly is it teaching is it is it still is it writing um is is it doing the podcast like is it or is it all of the above like how does how has it changed for you over the years it, it is kind of all of the above um what's really interesting is uh you know when back to the future came out mm-hmm like the first run, because that's how old I am. Um, that was the first time I really understood, like, this is how music affects movies. I mean, I had, like, listened to Star Wars and all that stuff and E.T. and blah, yeah. blah, blah. But it was Back to the Future and that soundtrack that made me want to go into film composing at cool. the time. I'm like, this is what I want to do. And I felt like like nobody knew about Alan Silvestri because it was all John Williams, you mm-hmm. know? And I'm like, oh, Alan Silvestri, he, he's, my, he's my guy over here. And then Danny Elfman, I'm like, oh, Alan Silvestri, he's, he's my man. <laughs> uh, and I love John Williams and I love Danny Elfman, but it was the Back to the Future soundtrack. And so all through you know middle school and high school, I uh, was dabbling with composing. I was uh, uh, like entering little instrumental competitions yeah. and and uh, I like wrote for my drum line because I was like drum captain and all that stuff. Cool. Uh, and then, you know, I, I wanted to go to to the North Carolina School of the Arts to study film composing because you could in high school. I was like, this is amazing, but really couldn't afford it. And uh, I didn't really push it. I was a, kind of a lazy kid to begin with. Uh, and so I just kind of took the path of least resistance. I applied, I took like the SAT once. I went, I applied to one school, even though I wanted to go to Berkeley. I wanted to go to USC, but I just didn't have that motivation. And so I kind of took the path of least resistance and started focusing more on being a percussionist, being a drummer, mm-hmm. and I wanted to be a band director. Um, but then I saw all my friends, student teaching. I'm like, ah, I don't want to go into public school. Right. Because uh, I knew high school wasn't for me. And teaching middle school band, I, I didn't want to do any of that. But I just kind of veered into percussion because it really came naturally to me. And to be honest, it was just really, it's just really easy, mm-hmm. right? It was just, it was just super easy. And I look back now and I can see like, Dave, man, you're like, if you wanted to go to School of the Arts, then you could have made it happen, right? If you wanted to go to USA, if you wanted to go to Berkeley, then you could have made it happen. But uh, I was just, like I said, maybe I was just too young and naive to really understand how much 
agency I really had over myself. Anyway, that's 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 for me and my therapist, I guess. <laughs> but um, but I just kind of kept going in drums and wanted to be a composer. And I was kind of this closet film composer, and I would make remixes and beats and do hip hop stuff and EDM. Is that what got you uh, into and, the DAW in the first place? That yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, back when you know, like Acid Pro was a right. thing, and uh, before FL Studio was was way back. Know, fancy pants FL Studio, it was Fruity Loops, Loops, you know, and so that's what I did. That was my first doll. Audacity, <laughs> yep, absolutely. Where I was like, you know, vacuuming up loops from the internet, which may or may not have been nefariously <laughs> obtained. Yeah. Uh, doing doing uh, uncopyrighted uh, remixes and all that stuff because I, I was DJing like cafes and I DJed a, a museum or an art gallery. And so I would just like go huh. there and set up and I would make these remixes of jazz standards or uh, like Esquivel kind of doing this really cool kind of, now they'd call it kind of lo-fi, yeah. but back then it was like trip hop and acid yeah. jazz and that kind yeah. of thing. And so I was doing a lot of DJ D, DJing type stuff, remixes. Sometimes I would do it live. Um, but drums was like drums. You're a drummer. You teach drums and all about drums. And I kept getting pulled into this this idea of wanting to be a film composer. But then when I had the opportunity to move to Florida and take the job at Full Sail, that's when it flipped. That's when it's like, okay, now I can take everything I learned about teaching and focus over the you know the the ten or twelve years as a you know teaching college students in Memphis. Then I could really pour that teaching knowledge into teaching composition mm -hmm. and so that's when things really started coalescing for me and percussion the thing which was a 15 20 year side trip right yeah <laughs> uh just kind of fell further and further down the priority list until one day i was sitting in a pit uh during uh an, or an orchestra pit for a theater, a theater production, and it was tech rehearsal. If anybody's ever done any theater, you, you know how tech rehearsal goes. And I'm, I may have told this story on my podcast, but I was just sitting there, and it was long. It was like a five, five or six-hour rehearsal, and tech is a lot of start, stop, start, mm -hmm. stop. You play very, very little. They're working on lights and mics and all this cue to cue. All blah. And I just remember thinking, I have deliverables due. And I could be making money right now, making music as opposed to sitting in an orchestra pit. I could be making more money if I was actively at home working in the studio. Mm -hmm. And that's when I decided, decided to kind of semi-retire from being a percussionist. And I would only really perform with those here in town who, uh, who I love and enjoy playing with. And the, the gig itself is surpassed by my relationship with them. Like yeah. I'm playing not because I need the gig or want the gig, but because I love these yeah. people and and I, and I want to help them out. Whether that's you know my wife, if, if she asked me to play drums, that's an automatic yes. I'm never not going to turn down <laughs> my wife, who's also a music director, right. but a handful of other music directors here in town. Yeah, um, but it was a really important and it was really kind of a soul searching moment. Like oh my gosh, this thing which has been such a huge part of my identity is now kind of atrophying, you know, in my own consciousness and to the point where last Sunday was the first time I had played drums in about three months. How'd that feel? Yeah. Uh, equally kind of like, oh, I feel rusty. Yeah. And oh yeah, I remember this. And part of it was like when I had to drag my butt out of bed on a Sunday morning and, 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 and be sitting on a drum chair by 8 30 then i was like oh okay i remember why i stopped doing this <laughs> yeah. it's way too early i'm way too old my back is way too sore for any of this. I, I totally relate to so much of what you just said um like i i have like uh, my band are like they're a group of my best friends um and that's what you know motivates me to to keep playing that we don't we don't do a lot of gigs anymore like i played a, a wedding gig uh, uh just this last weekend um and i was super rusty too um but yeah, you know, like the the relationship I have with my bandmates is, you know, supersedes the 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 drive to to actually go and play mm -hmm. music. And I think, you know, for at some point, I don't know if I had that like a like a singular sort of revelation about about oh, I'm not sure this is what I want to do anymore. But it was it, it had reached sort of a point where I was doing it so much that it wasn't um, I wasn't feeling like I was having that much fun uh, with it, and it was sort of taking a toll on my time. Uh, and, you know, I kept on thinking to myself while it was happening, doing rehearsals and all this other stuff that came with that whole package 
deal that you know it's like i kind of wish i was like at home working on on like uh, my production yeah, jobs yeah if you're yeah, if your heart really isn't yeah. in it, then I don't think that's fair to the people that are paying to see you. I think the same thing about like teaching private drum set right. lessons, right? If, if my heart isn't in it, that student doesn't, man, they don't deserve somebody who's just doing it for what, the money or whatever. No, they deserve somebody who is as passionate about I am with composing as they are with drumming. And so I'm just going to step aside and let somebody somebody fill that spot who is really, really ready to pour into totally. that student. So as far as teaching drum set lessons. Yeah. Now at Full sale, I teach composition and I could do that all day long. My channel, what we're doing right here, my podcast, it's all teaching composition. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, yeah, I've got endless, endless energy for, for this kind right. of thing. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Cool. Well, I, I got to uh, I got to pick your brain about libraries um, because... Sure. Uh, yeah, I work with, you know, <clears throat> a few free uh, or um, royalty-free libraries. Uh, at the moment, you've been working with, like, uh, exclusive TV sync libraries for years now. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I, I'm fascinated about that world. Um, some I know that some of the libraries that you've come to work with, uh, you have come about through Taxi. Uh, I, I think at least one of them was through, a, like, a personal connection at Full Sail, maybe. Um not yeah one was not not a taxi one but yeah one was uh yeah some 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 of the guys at full sale co-workers at full sale got wind right. of my music that i was just posting up on soundcloud they said hey do you want to write for cbs sports I'm like, well who wouldn't yeah. so i said yes That's to that sweet sweet yep. little opportunity there yeah um mm -hmm. and also yeah i should mention that if anyone wants to hear more about how uh you've sort of uh got into this whole thing uh, that's uh in detail, you, you mentioned all that in Eric's interview, so I'll, I'll link that up above. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I want to know a bit more about uh, like how you've maintained uh, those relationships over the years, because I think you know there's a lot of discussion in the community about getting into the libraries, and I think that just getting your foot in the door is hard enough, and um, that's really kind of just half the battle. Um, I guess my question for you is like uh, now that you know, like once you're in uh in the door what are the expectations from the library's end in terms of like how much music you're you're delivering to them and like how often and like i'm assuming that probably is different you know for every library but like in your experience like what are the, what are what do they expect from you at this point gotcha you're right it is different per library and uh and and i and each li so yeah so each library has their own kind of expectation so i'll just kind of run run down the gamut that i see mm -hmm. so the library that i work with that publishes for cbs sports since sports is so cyclical like every year there's a football season there's a basketball season there's golf there's a masters tournament and there's big 3 and uh, which is a ba uh, 3 on 3 basketball league at, on cbs and so it's absolutely cyclical so i know what time of the year that deliverables are needed mm -hmm. And that publisher will literally take as much as I can give him, like Crazy. literally. So if I, if I, if I backed a dump truck up and gave him like 50 tracks, he would take them all. Hmm. Right. Uh, assuming they were all good and everything, because when I first started, he was really, really patient and helped me along and really kind of, um, mentored me along the way. And I know in, um, that's probably something in, that doesn't happen much anymore. <laughs> it doesn't happen as yeah. much, but, uh, I am finding it is something that I've started doing like with the composers that come through 52 cues, you know, yeah. it's, it's very much that's very same kind of the kind of advice that I'm giving out to folks who sign up for coaching or whatever. That's the advice that I was given by a very, 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 very patient uh, publisher. Yeah, cool. And it's also the kind of advice that you can get from getting returns from like taxi, you yeah. know, that, that kind of advice about form and structure and, and mixing and yeah, all that. Right. So, so anyway, but I can, I could, I can give him as much as he wants. Um, another library that I work with kind of, uh, there's an open door for album concepts. So I might, I might hit him up and say, Hey, I've got an idea for this album. What do you think? And he, he'll either green light that or, or, uh, or say, well, we don't really need that, but what about this? And then that will get turned into an album project that then I'll start writing to another library. I work with sends out briefs, actually two libraries sends out, send out briefs and it's kind of just an open call and those are more a la carte it's not like we want a whole album they say whether it's we're putting an album together of like one right now is they're putting an album together of epic world okay. music 
And I'm going to do a couple of those because I play like didgeridoo and, and I've done a couple of those that got like, uh, I got one got placed on the bachelor, which is really, Sweet. really cool. Like the bachelor Australia. Um, and so I'm going to, I'm going to submit to that. Uh, and another one is like, Hey, it's, uh, it's temptation Island season six and the publisher or the producers want this, this, and this. And so it's not an album. It's just, I'm, I'm just submitting one off tracks. Um, and, and that, that's kind of the, the breadth of it, but I've also been bounced from a library because I didn't submit enough. Like after about, I think it was four right. years. Like I got into the library, got a placement. It was all great. Yay. Got, I, I run, I, I got a spot with a commercial and it was great, yeah. but then I didn't answer any of their briefs right? they would send me a brief, you know, once every couple of weeks, we need this, this, and this. And then one, you know, one month they were going through their list of composers. Okay. This person hasn't submitted anything in four years. So we're going to prune them from our composer list. Why, why they couldn't just keep me on their email list. I don't know, but that's their prerogative and it's hard to blame them. I wasn't submitting anything to if, them. If you don't mind my asking, uh, but, why is know, it that, that you didn't send them uh, any music? Is it just that you were too busy or? Uh, it, I was just yeah. too busy. That, that library specifically, specifically um, their niche was niche was super fast turnarounds. Like they're the 24 hour seven eleven in the middle of nowhere. Okay. And if you need toilet paper, they're going to have it. Right. <laughs> Right. So, uh, that was, that was their specialty and their turnarounds were like 24 to 48 hours. And, and I did, I did answer one. One was looking for a game trailer and the payout, the upfront, the upfront was $175,000, man. Uh, and so like I was on vacation, uh, it was, we, I was here, but I was, you know, it was very deliberate again, see my earlier calendar, sacred, you know, family yeah. time. But I told Shannon, Hey, I just got a brief for a $175,000 trailer job. And she's like, see ya. No, I didn't <laughs> land it, but, uh, but that's why I wasn't able to. And this was also early when CBS was really picking up where I'd kind of, I'd kind of, uh, figured out like the, the secret sauce to making these good kind of epic hip hop cues that, that will find their way on right. air. And so I was like, that's writing. where you put your energy. Yeah. I was putting all my energy in yeah. that. So I would, I would see this one and be, oh, I really can't do this one and do this one. And then four years of not answering briefs and then eventually got me pruned from their composer. It's an interesting, with an invite, yeah. with an invite to, uh, to rejoin. But, but I, I haven't since because I, because I, I've only gotten busier. <laughs> yeah. Well, this, I think this is such an interesting little discussion to have. You know, I think a lot of people get excited about the idea of like getting in these libraries of the ones you're in. So you can't like I feel I feel like especially with the, the the exclusive libraries like you're in like a little club I think you know and um they're they're run by small teams and there's mm -hmm. there's there's probably you know in each of these libraries there's like a there's a small handful of active composers um and if you know you're one of these people that it's like really precious is taking your sweet time to send them music like every once in a blue moon it's just like it's probably not going to work out well I think that that. Yeah. And well, it's, it's a business really. Yeah. You're, what you're really looking to do when you sign on to a library, you're really looking to enter into a business partnership. Right. They're not your agents. They don't work for you. They are on the, uh, you're both in the same boat, right? They're just on the other side with an oar and you're on this side with yeah. an oar and you're both paddling in the same direction. Um, but it, it costs, it costs libraries resources, whether it's time or, you know, work hours or whatever, it costs them resources to keep you in the library. Mm -hmm. And so if you're not producing, then it's hard to blame them. Not to mention that if you are producing for them and you are consistently, and I think this is what's happened with you in Motion Array, you know, you are consistently feeding them music and the music that you're, that you're giving them is working. And so then they are going to approach you first mm -hmm. and then you become like their go-to guy and that's where you want to be. And so with like the CBS publisher, I've kind of turned that corner. Mm -hmm. So when something big hits and like, Hey, you know, the master's movie, uh, needs uh, underscore and I want you and uh, this other write writing person to kind of partner and create, you know, bespoke production music for it. I've been doing that now for four years because you know, yes, I had to give up this other library, you know, with $175,000 swing and a mm -hmm. miss, but because I was pouring all of my energy into the CBS library, then when other opportunities came around, the library could trust, the publisher could trust 
that I could deliver. And I was able to not only give him something on time, something that works, but I was able to consistently, consistently do that. And if you're not, if you're not ready, if you're not ready to, 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 to do something, if you're chasing that, 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 if you're, you know, the puppy chasing the car and you catch it, you, you better be able to do something with it. Otherwise you'll do more damage with the relationship or in the relationship than if you had never started right. it. So I, I, in, in saying that it's probably, it's probably, you know, depending on how much time one has, uh, in, in their days to like compose and stuff, it's like probably fair to say that like the average person could probably not handle much more than like two or three relationships with these libraries, depending on like what the, the expectations are, but it seems like, you know, you got to find yeah, one that's or two how, libraries that really. That, that's, that's the philosophy I take. You know, when I did my interview with Michael Lasco over on Taxi mm -hmm. and he, he talked about, you know, he has somebody that works with 20 or 30 libraries. That's that crazy. still boggles my that's mind crazy. because the relationships that I have with my libraries, it's very constant. Mm -hmm. You know, this, this, they want 10 tracks. This library wants 15 tracks. This library wants 90 tracks. And so the only thing I could imagine is it's, it's, a, it's like, I don't, I, I don't want to go a mile wide and an inch deep with a library. Yeah. Right. I, I want to go like really deep and be able to, uh, this is a course assuming that they're making placements and it's not just going into a vacuous black hole and just my music goes nowhere. I mean, that's, that's the other side yeah. of this, but, yeah. but yeah, I want to, I'm going to, I'm going to dance with a girl that brought me. Right. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great analogy. Um, I want to ask you a, a little bit about the deals. Like um, for the most mm -hmm. part, the, like in just in terms of the ways that the deals are structured, um, are libraries just taking the publisher's share and you're taking the writer's share? And is that, so is that how it generally works for like these, these sync libraries? Yeah, I would say for like 90%, that's how okay. it is. They get the publishing share and I get uh, the writer's share. There is one library that I work with, which is, it's this weird kind of quasi non-exclusive where it's, I own the publishing unless they place it. And then I, I, they get the okay. publishing. So, uh, so if I find homes for my music, right, if I were to, or if I were to throw them up on Spotify or something like that, then I would get the publishing right. share. Okay. But if they find homes for it, then they get publishing. And they also give a little upfront to get it into their catalog. But uh, either way, I always get writer's share. But m most of the other ones are all half and half publishing and writers. I do have one library that I work with that has a, a works with a very lucrative, very kind of ongoing. And uh, in order to kind and, and that company, that production company takes some of the publishing share. So I gave up some of my writer share, which I know is is so, you know, woo, people will freak out. But for me, it's 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 worth it's that's giving up a little bit of my writer share is worth the longevity of of that relationship with that with that production yeah. company. Yeah, that's so a whole it was a it was it, it, yeah, it was calculated, yeah, but yeah. Yeah, I, I get it. Um yeah, like the the upfront fees are, are interesting to me too, like in the way that they work with the exclusive world. Cause like uh like are the are are the upfront fees ever in advance on like future sync fees like like or the, that you know generated when the track gets like actually you know used for no no, okay. no they're not advanced they're just consideration fees okay. I guess uh like uh, when I when I did some stuff for for uh, for this one library the one that uh, the non exclusive kind of quasi exclusive it was I think like two hundred bucks per track okay like. And then it's just, there you go, here's $200. And then I get um, my standard royalties. But no, it's not necessarily considered in advance. Not not that I know of. Right. <laughs> not that I don't think I saw any any language like that in the country. We read them an email as soon as we're done here. Um, right. Are sync fees alone? Like, because like, I know that uh, the, the, the performance royalties that you earn from the placements, like account for a significant chunk of your total income. I know that they, they vary from quarter to quarter quite a bit, but um, they account for a, like a sizable chunk. What about the, like the up, like the sync fees? Like, are those a significant part of the income stream as well? I, I don't, I, personally, I haven't seen a ton of sync fees because I don't get a like, like a lot of commercial placements, right. you know, uh, I, I have gotten some, which were, which weren't, the money wasn't paid out. It's so like there's upfronts, there's sync fees, there's back end, there's royalty. Yeah. So it's all really kind of nebulous and and squares a rectangle, but a rectangle isn't a square mm -hmm. kind of thing. Uh, so I've gotten a little bit of sync fees, but my understanding is, you know, like when you get something placed in Thousand Pound Sisters or Doctor Pimple Popper or Temptation Island, you know, you might get 
up front, like here's $150, here's $200 to write it and for it to live in our, in our library. But I don't, that's, that's not a sync fee. That's, that's just a consideration fee. Yeah. Right. That's the consideration yeah. fee. When it makes air, I don't get any sync okay. fee. Okay. When I, then, but then I get back in royalties and, you know, the publisher gets back in royalties paid out through the PRO. I have gotten some sync fees for like a commercial placement. Right. So but, sync um, fees aren't always a given. That's just seems to be yeah absolutely it absolutely but it is it is a nebulous yeah. thing and I, I i need to have like a lawyer an entertainment business lawyer on my it, podcast because i have tons of it questions gets so complicated like, yeah i've, I've yeah, mechanicals totally. and performance and it's uh, makes your head yeah spin. <laughs> absolutely um okay dude i gotta i gotta pick your brain about your your actual production um space like your desk Okay, the the, the, mm -hmm. the weirdest thing is, is like I could I could have totally imagined this. The thing I might have dreamed this, but I swear I saw <laughs> one of your videos where for a, just a little while I could actually see like a slice of your actual desk, and I yeah. have this weird memory of seeing like this iPad set up, or maybe it was like a Stream Deck mm -hmm. or something like that. I don't know where I saw it. I tried to find this video again, but I was curious <laughs> ever since I saw that about like what exactly. Are you using like what's your hardware setup? Like, do you have a lot of outboard gear? Are you kind of like an in the box producer? Like, tell us about about uh, that. That's a fantastic question. I don't think anybody's like ever really kind of interview or anything asked me that. Um, I am uh, I am a hundred percent in the mm -hmm. box, with the exception I use an eighteen i twenty Scarlet a Focusrite eighteen i twenty. That is my uh, audio mm -hmm. interface. And for my live streams, I have a little Yamaha. Let's see, it's it's called like an AG03, and so I, it's it's a really small little kind of tiny mixer. Okay. But the other hardware that I have is I have a Stream Deck, and I actually have it. I can kind of kind of show it to you. It's it's right here. Yeah. And I have uh yeah I have all these little buttons which correspond to OBS scenes. Okay. okay. So that live, you know, if you ever watch my podcast or my any of my live streams, you'll see. Like the video, uh, the video transitions yeah. and different camera placements and that kind of stuff. Uh, so that's 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 really great. Uh, that's because one of the things I have to do is I have to be able to to do as much as I can in real time. Yeah. I don't have the time for post production. I'm not going to open up After Effects and blah, I'm not going to do all of that other other yeah. stuff. So the Stream Deck's a piece of hardware. I also have a little uh, writing tablet um, that that I use with a little pencil. And so I can like do like telestrations, like like John Madden. Or oh, something so like, like that. you like circle a full... little something that you're trying to like talk. Yep, yeah, exactly. Cool. So I can write. I can write, and I have an iPad. Yeah. Let me get it off its little. So I have an iPad which stays just under under the screen, and I've got it set up to where um, these are all key commands, like my my most common key oh, commands. Cool. Now the iPad. This is I run Logic, yeah. so I can have this, even though other apps like Touch. MIDI or touch OSC or something, but I can also like put it into a little keyboard mode if I want. <laughs> I can also, uh, the logic remote app, I can do mixing faders. And so if I'm doing any kind of Ooh. remote recording, then I'll take this, like if I'm recording the drum set back there, then I can take this right. with me and I can completely control my, my DAW from oh, that's there. Cool. And, uh, this is, this is my mother-in-law's old iPad, which won't hold a charge anymore. <laughs> it's like an iPad Air 2. It's really, really yeah. old. But the only thing it does, the only thing it does is run this remote app. And it stays plugged in the whole time. And it's fantastic. It's an old iPad. And it works really, really well. What's What's the problem um, with doing key commands on the, on the, on the keyboard? Is it, are, are, oh, I... It's it's things like um like if I'm in a in MIDI yeah. window and I need to ch change from note velocity view to sustain pedal if I'm like uh, or if I need to look at the modulation or the expression yeah. curve, there's no quick key command to easily change those. Uh, so I'd have to like go to the little drop down and drop down from note velocity to yeah. modulation. However, I can set up you know modulation, expression, sustain, velocity, pitch bend, or other things like uh, showing help tags, turning uh saving and cleaning up projects. So just really uh, tap tempo, going to markers and all that, which are like finger breaking type key commands that you have to to almost like do some sort of yoga move in order to nail them. I, I hear, yeah, I hear what you're saying. Is there is there like, um, how do I ask, uh, ask this question probably? Like are, are using, a, is a third party software to, to, to bring that onto the iPad or 
No, it's the Logic Remote app. Oh, okay, so Logic Remote Remote app. But these are all key commands that you could manually um, program in the Logic's preferences, right? Like, so if I wanted, it's like one. It's like literally, yeah, anything that you could imagine doing. It, if if it shows up in Logic's like this has a buttonable type of a key command, then it will it will show up, and it's everything from like. Uh, transpose one semitone, uh, increment paddle, uh, pattern step rate, rotate pattern right, cycle <laughs> through window views, set row playback mode to forward, uh, select step below. And it's just it, here. Well, I'm I didn't even you. know actually here, that like, Logic's key command uh, could get that granular because, yeah, this is like. So did you have to put the, page? Did you after... have to put those in your yourself? No, no, they, they were all they were all there, man. Uh, the oh, only thing cool. that I edited, uh, the only one that I edited was the first page because that's where it stays. Everything else is just window dressing. But this first page with all of the key commands that, that I use commonly and, and and they're all editable and you can assign the colors and all but of you that. But you could, you could do find those, you could program those same key commands on your, on your keyboard without that logic uh, remote app. Correct. Correct. Okay. Yeah, you can because it has a pretty robust uh, custom um, custom key mapping. So right. if you if you could do you know the, the the finger gymnastics to pull off that key command, then absolutely. Okay. I got to get yep. on that iPad thing. I really like that. I'm I'm obsessed with and, and they have a, any kind of hack yeah, that's going to help my productivity and make things go faster. And they have a phone app too. And so the phone app. Uh, you can do the same thing, but you just turn your phone to the side and it will show up your buttons. Oh. If you put, put it straight up and down, then it will uh, show you the faders. So I don't have to go buy yeah, a dude. used iPad. Cool. No, if you have a, if you have an iPhone, then do it. That's it, cool. do, it is Apple, you know, so Apple gonna Apple. So you have to, it has to be an iPhone. <laughs> right. Well, luckily I got that. So that's cool. I didn't, I, yeah, I didn't know that. I've never seen that uh, used before and I've been a Logic user for a while now. So that's cool. Um let me uh, yeah, let me ask you about your your journey on YouTube. I, I you've been on YouTube mm -hmm. for nine years by the looks of it. I went and looked mm -hmm. at your um your first video, and uh, <laughs> I'm not. I guess yeah. You were saying earlier the channel hasn't always been 52 cues. You changed that probably what three years ago or something like that. Uh, yeah, uh, four years ago technically. Okay. Um, back in uh, t when I started the Facebook group, I which I think was in 2018. Mm -hmm. uh, then I. Uh, I committed to like, I'm going to write a queue a week and I am going to post about it on YouTube and here we go. But I got so bogged down in the post-production process because I didn't have the, uh, I didn't have the stream deck. I didn't, I was trying to overproduce yeah. it and it became a real burden. And uh, this is also when that big giant discovery contract hit the 90 tracks in right. one year kind of thing. And so I was like, and YouTube is not that important. <laughs> yeah. And then 2019, nothing happened. And then 2020, uh, of course, everybody's world slowed down in 2020, didn't it? And so uh, I started kind of kicking back around a little bit. And it was really in 2021 where I was like, 52 cues, let's let's commit. I needed the motivation. And that's when it really, really turned into every single week. I found out a, you know, a way to, to make a cue that or um, make videos relatively easily with just a couple of hours, you know, and uh, just vlog the journey, yeah. just talk about this is what I'm dealing with. And so that carried all the way through uh, 2021. I made 51 videos. Yeah. There was a week where uh, where I was on vacation. And so uh, there's only one week. But then in for 2022, I changed it from from being a vlog where just kind of this check in to much more of a topic of yeah. the week. This is also when we started posting it as a podcast, yeah. video podcast and audio podcast. And instead of featuring my cues, featuring cues from the community, because I felt I felt people had had a year of hearing my music and I wanted a way to to feature all of the amazing music coming through the 52 cues community and kind of give give feedback like I do with students and dur during my coaching services, but just kind of give that out yeah. there. And, uh, and people can learn about it. But early on, before it was composer focused, it was like, I have a video where I just play Doombeck just because I'm like, what's this YouTube thing? <laughs> My wife and I uh, did uh, juicing for a while and uh, we had uh, weekly check-ins where we juiced and we're like losing weight and our weight loss oh, cool. journey and everything. All of those are all hidden because it, it makes no sense if you show up to like look at production videos and see me and my wife, you know, <laughs> it's week 30 and we hate our lives, right? Because we've been juicy kale and cucumbers and beets, right? And so, uh, so we, we, I've unlisted all of those. If you're interested in seeing one, I could show you my, uh, my beards all anyway. I'm like, 
80 pounds heavier. For anyone who's interested but, uh, in some cool barbecue uh, shots too, check oh, out Dave's yeah. Instagram. What's your, uh, what's your handle oh, yeah, there? My, yeah. uh, my handle, my Instagram personal handle, if you want to see like gratuitous Weber kettle shots, <laughs> that's at, at Dave Croft. But at 52 Qs, uh, the number 52 Qs is uh, the one where we post like the composer stuff. Okay. okay. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you make it made me hungry every time I was looking at this picture. I love it. I'm doing I'm doing uh, smoked chicken oh, this weekend. Damn. I'm coming yeah, down. Come on down, man. <laughs> Bring the missus. Bring a swimsuit. We'll go I'd swimming. Love to. Yeah, heck yeah. Um <laughs> yeah, YouTube. Let me um I, I'm always telling people to get on YouTube because I think it, you know, it's <clears throat> it's been a total game changer for me. Uh it's really changed my my whole life, actually, you know, to be honest. Uh in ways that I really never could have uh, imagined that it would. Um You've mentioned a few times that you're not really interested in like gaming the YouTube algorithm, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Like you're not really uh, into the idea of making like short bite-sized content. Uh, and you also just mentioned that it's like, yeah, the editing and all that kind of stuff is just something you don't really have time for as well. I think you mentioned this in, in the last podcast episode uh, that you had you, is, is that monetization of the YouTube channel isn't really something that you're um, that you're aiming for necessarily, which I think is, you know, totally cool. Um, what I'm curious to know is uh, has being on YouTube, you know, since you've been doing the 52Q stuff uh, and putting the, the podcast episodes up there, has that been effective content marketing for 52Q's? The, the community oh yeah with, with and like yeah sorry sorry jump in <laughs> i just yeah I, i'm curious what because you mentioned facebook earlier uh, in our discussion and mm -hmm. i and i guess that like i'm i'm curious about where most people are finding you these now compared to where they were like finding you like say like a year or two ago um because yeah like tell me about the facebook thing because it's like facebook just seems like so dead to me like i can't even open it up now like i i have i haven't even really been active on it in like so long um, and I wonder, is it, is it still like a viable place for like, you know, trying to build a community there? Like what's, what's the deal? Well, I, I started out on Facebook, uh, just because I wanted to set up a group and I thought, and I just wanted to do, you know, the concept of let's, let's have a place where we can talk about specifically production music, you know, not just this kind of open cattle call, you know, play us your, you know, 10, 10 minute bro step track mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, nothing is a bro step, <laughs> but that's not what we're doing here. Bro, it's like dub steps, like really okay. angry and gnarly Agro? and, you know, kind of like, <laughs> yeah, like angry or Skrillex, if that's a thing, it's a bro step. Cool. Um, uh, but so I set up a Facebook group with the idea that every month or every week we'll, we'll set up a topic okay. and people will come and post their, their music. But, uh, and we grew to about a thousand members, but, uh, I mean, Facebook's algorithm changes all the time. And I was reading a book about publishing, like author publishing, actually publishing books. And they talk about um, don't build. No, it wasn't books. It was community building. It was actually community building. And they said in the book not to build a community on someone else's platform. Sorry, my my cameras oh. bugging out. There we go. And we're back. <laughs> Sorry. <That's> okay. <laughs> Uh, not to build a community platform on somebody else's, uh, not to build a community business on somebody else's platform. Like Mighty, Mighty Networks. ultimately, like no, more like, like Facebook. Like people came to Facebook to be at Facebook and you were trying to build a business off of that community. The community is Facebook. Sorry, so the, the Mighty, book you're, or what you're reading was trying to uh, say like you should not rely on like a like a platform like Facebook to build your your community yeah, exactly yeah. and they called it digital sharecropping okay. which was real like oh my gosh it is because Facebook is giving us the mm -hmm. land right and they're taking a cut of the land but Facebook's Facebook's money is made not from the people that host the communities but Facebook's money is made by the by the people who are members of the mm -hmm. community and that that's ultimate that's that's the digital sharecropping and if facebook up and decides that hey we're not going to show your feed to, to your group members anymore which was absolutely what was happening or hey we're going to harvest the information that people are posting about their music about their questions in your private group and we're going to harvest that and sell it to advertisers yeah. which was absolutely yeah, happening absolutely. or to like cambridge analytica or yeah. whatever right and so, whereas with Mighty Networks, I pay to use Mighty Networks, but Mighty Networks doesn't make any money off of our users. 
or your users, right? They're not they're not combing the uh, the 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 instant messages. Which folks, Facebook, your private messages, they are combing those. Facebook is combing those. So if you if you and not to just bag on Facebook, but if you say if if we were to open up on Facebook and I sent you a private message and say, hey man, why don't you check out this uh, USB MIDI controller? The fact that me and you talked about USB USB MIDI controllers gets set as a data point. And Next day, you're getting served Facebook's ads for USB controllers on, on your right. Instagram. In our private <clears throat> messages. <clears throat> and so that's just that's just super sketchy to me. And I don't, I don't and it wasn't until I started getting on the business side of Facebook when I realized, wow, this this really goes deep. And so I just got ickier and ickier about it. So Mighty Networks, I pay for the platform. And yes, subscribers subscribe, you know, and I get revenue from that. But Mighty Networks doesn't make any additional money from my my community right. members, our your community members, your your academy members, Mighty Networks doesn't see any money, nor do they scrape their data. So, did I answer your question? Yeah, no, Sorry. absolutely. I, like I kind of went off on Facebook. No, no, no. I I, I totally feel you. Um, and that does yeah answer the question. I guess what I what I also was just wondering was like, is is anyone discovering you through Facebook anymore, or is it all through YouTube? Right. Yes. And th yeah, that was that was the other question was, uh, I mean, through Facebook, probably not because we kind of shut it down and I turned it private. Okay. So it shouldn't it shouldn't necessarily if you looked for 52 cues on Facebook right now. Uh, I mean, that's that's speaking out of both sides of my mouth. If I can't believe like, you know, I can't be over here and say, don't go on Facebook. And I hope you follow me on <laughs> Facebook. So I don't I don't necessarily do that. Yeah. I mean, we do do Instagram, which is owned by the same parent yeah. company, which kind of robbing P Peter to pay Paul. But um, but. YouTube, like I said, I'm not really focusing on monetizing it. It's really there just to kind of point people to who I am, to what I do, and what 52Qs is about, which is why I'm not trying to to game the algorithm. I'm not trying to like use the perfect search words. I'm not trying to make sure that at this 10-minute mark, this is what I make. Like there's all those videos about how you can get to 1,000 subscribers and uh, get to your first monetization, get to your first $1,000. And... Um, that's just that type of content isn't sustainable mm -hmm. for me. And I already know that I, I can't start making YouTube videos that I can't easily sustain. Otherwise, I'll fizzle out and that defeats the whole yep. purpose. Gotcha. Um, that's cool. I guess maybe on a final thought here, um, I love, you know, that we've got these, you know, di different approaches to our, our respective communities and there's some overlap um, as well. And, and, and I, I guess, you know, uh, maybe for the audience who is, is new to you, if they haven't heard you, like, what can they mm -hmm. expect from 52 cues of what's it all about? Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, why don't you give us a little rundown of it? Yeah. I, like, like I said, I think our communities are absolutely complementary. Uh, what you do is much more curriculum and I don't have curriculum. You're not going to come here and take a class on how to mm -hmm. do this, but what 52 cues is all about. And we have different, there, there's a, a free community tier, which is what the Facebook group essentially used to be. And it's just carried over and it's folks, uh, it's, it's part kind of discord discussion. It's part, uh, peer review where you can post your, your queue. And like I said, it's free to join. And every week we have a review thread. Folks post their queues. They give feedback to other queues. It's super, super open, super, uh, friendly, really, really nice because, because we're not on Facebook, we don't have just kind of the looky-loo scroller, scroller, scroller trolls, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah, Um the, the people that are there, you have to be really, really deliberate, right? You're not just going to accidentally, you know, click join on the Mighty Networks on 52Qs. You have to be really deliberate about it. And that means that the folks that are there really, they really want, to be, want there, to be there. So that's what the free community is about. And every week uh, for this year, I pick a queue from the weekly thread and I, and I talk about it on the podcast and I'm going to be continuing that next year, even though I have plans for what 52 cues in 2023 is going to look like and have kind of a theme running through the whole year, but that's for future you, uh, you folks to kind of learn about. But then we have other kind of subscription tiers. We have a, a friend tier and what the friends uh, tier gets access to is they get access to the month, uh, weekly live streams. I live stream on YouTube every week for a minimum of two hours and uh, I write music live. It's like, here, watch, watch me do it. And they also have monthly workshops. 
And uh, last month, the workshop was, I did a two-hour workshop on metadata and tags and spreadsheets and, and how, to, how to write descriptions and how to write good titles. A uh, month before that, we had uh, my wife, Shannon, taught a theory, like a course on, on uh, like Theory 101 for DAW composers. We've also had special guests. We had Marlon Gibbons talk about yeah. kind of the do's and don'ts of the industry. Cool. And this month coming up, we have Steve, Steve Cox, who is the music manager for Warner Brothers Discovery. And uh, he's going to talk about like, how do you go from pitch to to making air yeah. right uh, we also have uh, some other some other folks coming up uh, game game composers we have an Ableton specialist who's going to come on do a workshop and so so every month we do a live zoom workshop the live streams are through YouTube and I do weekly cue breakdowns where I'll take one of my published cues and do a complete walkthrough of the sounds and yeah. everything. So that's the uh, friends and then we have the family tier which has all of that but then it adds uh, weekly Zoom interactive feedback sessions. So we all kind of get into a Zoom room and we listen to each other's cues. And I do really, really intense where I, I bring the track into Logic and we look at everything from the mix to the master to form, structure, harmony, note choices, titles, um, and, and beyond. And so that's all done live in Zoom and I have weekly office hours. And then beyond that, we have a mastermind group, which is a 12-week program really dedicated to like career development, like the 30,000-foot view. This isn't how to write a cue. This is how to start and manage a career. But again, it's not curriculum kind of like what, what you have. It's more, it's, it's, it's a deliberately, the mastermind's a deliberately small group of people. It's limited, caps out at six, mm -hmm. and we meet for 12 weeks. And so, yeah, that's, what's, that's what, all, what all is happening um, at, at that's a lot, man. And I'm, I'm just, yeah, I just <laughs> find it so fascinating the way people structure their, their communities. I, I, I got, you know, it gives me so much inspiration and, and so many ideas. And I feel like, uh, uh, there's always refining to be done. Um, you know, especially the way mm -hmm. that I, I'm, I'm running mine. I know there's lots of improvements to be made and, uh, I love seeing how other people, uh, structure it because that, that's one of the cool things about Mighty Networks is probably a lot of people don't know is that there's a lot of different ways that you can kind of structure, uh, your community. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Yep. Any uh, any final words of wisdom for people who are maybe just kind of getting into the into the production game? Uh, any any, uh, any words of advice? Yeah. Um, well, well, first of all, thank you so much for My having pleasure, me man. on, man. Uh, a longtime fan, and uh, uh, you're 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 the quintessential Canadian, super nice, <laughs> and uh, you have a very smooth, kind of soothing voice, right? And so I just I just really on my bike ride, like every time every time you chime in, you know, I'm like ah, oh. not not that Eric, I'm not back on Eric's <laughs> voice or whatever, but you're just really soothing, kind of calming, and uh, I think uh, you deserve you deserve all the success you're getting. Thank so you, man. Really, That's really so nice of you to say. And, and, and I, likewise, yeah. I feel the same way about you. It's, re it's really cool to connect finally and, uh, and do this yeah, interview. Absolutely. I, have, I have so many other, uh, oh, sorry, I, I should let you answer the question I asked you, uh, about, <laughs> about no, no, it's, it's good. No, the, the final words, what I just say, if you're interested in production music, you know, one, one of my kind of ongoing sayings is together we are better. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, there's a reason folks like me and you and Eric and Jesse, these, they're kind of giving you the trade secrets because there's room at the table for absolutely, everybody. Yeah. Right? There's absolutely room at the table for everybody. Just know that uh, there's room at the table, but it's a big table and it, this is a long career. So if you're looking to pay your bills next month, this isn't the way to absolutely. do it. But if you're, if you're looking for a sustainable career, just know that the, the arc of that career bends really slowly, but it is ultimately an upward arc. And so as long as you have the patience, you know, to like, like Jesse was talking about on Eric's interview, you know, to, to stick around in the waiting room, right? As long as you have the patience, then I think you'll be rewarded, but just keep at it. Know that writing production music is different from writing songs. Mm -hmm. It's different from film scoring. It's different from writing jingles and different from uh, writing, uh, game music, uh, it's all related, but, uh, but I think, I think there's room at the table for everybody. And so we'd love to have you over at 52 Qs. And I know that Steve would love to have you at production music Academy. They're, uh, complimentary. Like you're not, like I said, you're not going to find curriculum, um, on my, on my, uh, on my network, but if that's something you're in for, then absolutely check out production music Academy for uh, sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm plugging your own, <laughs> yeah, thanks, your man. own network on your own uh, I show. will plug you too. Go check out Dave at, uh, <laughs> yeah. 52 cues.com or his YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he's got, you got great yeah. podcast, uh, episodes. Like I said, every time I listen to them, I'm always, I always want to 
I always feel like there's so many thoughts going through my mind. Like I've so, so much of it is so relatable. Like, uh, like there's so much stuff I'd, I actually would love to ask you, but we don't have, you know, all day, but like, you know, the episode mm -hmm. on AI you did with uh, your lovely wife, uh, that was, that was mm -hmm. absolutely a, a brilliant topic uh, for discussion and, and something that I'd be meaning to talk about on my own channel and, uh, got lots of thoughts on that. You did another episode about the, the, the diff, the, the ways you sort of characterize production music as being kind of like an artisan approach rather than an artist approach, which yep. I thought was a fascinating discussion as well. Um, yeah, would love to pick your, your brain further, but, uh. Maybe we'll we'll end it there. This seems like a yeah, nice place yeah, to end. Yeah, just have it. me back on, man. I love doing this absolutely. So uh, anytime you want me on again, man, I'm more than happy to uh, to share virtual space Sounds with you, good, man. That'd be great. Cool, dude. Thank you so much. Thank you, my friend. Thank you so much for listening, guys. We really appreciate it. Just a reminder to check out makemusicincome.com and productionmusicacademy.com. And you can find us both on YouTube as well. We both post regular content there. You can find me at Stevie B Production Music Academy, and Eric's channel is called Make Music Income. We'd love to see you there. Feel free to like, share, and subscribe to our content. Also, feel free to join us in the Make Music Income Discord server. Lots of great conversation going on in there, and you can share your work and connect with other like-minded folks. It's a great community. So thanks again, and we'll see you in the next episode. Take care.